Hello, everyone. My name is Suki Thompson. Welcome to Reset, the podcast, a place for you to get some inspiration and advice to help you live a more fulfilling work life. I do hope that your journey to feel more connected, more inspired, just a bit more energized starts here. Take a moment now with me to reset. I don't know about you, but I've often dreamed of being an Olympic athlete and obviously never achieved that dream. Um, And from the moment that my uncle Colin first taught me to Henley Royal Regatta at about 16 years old, I've absolutely loved rowing. So my conversation with Alex Partridge, former Olympic rower, for me is a really special one this week. Added to this, he's a mental well-being and financial wellness aficionado who is passionate about bringing health, strength and happiness to everyone through best practices and taking time to talk. Alex talks to me passionately about his move from rowing to business, something we've seen so many professional sports people really struggle with, and very openly about the importance of looking after his own well-being and mental health. We discuss how living a life of purpose leads to fulfillment and touch on topics such as creating a network of people to talk to when you really, really need help, keeping a good headspace and the steps leaders should take to ensure their well-being at work. The resets in Alex's work and life and his drive and ambition to help and support others through his unique experience of elite sport and business gives us lots of tips to follow and a moment to reflect on perhaps our own achievements. Oh, and just one thing. If you enjoy this conversation, please do click on the subscribe button to join Reset, the podcast. Thanks very much. Alex, it's so lovely to see you today. Um, Which part of the world are you in? Uh, I'm currently in uh, Forley, which is a nice little village outside of Henley-on-Thames, looking across beautiful green fields with the beautiful sun shining, a lovely sunset last night, um, and it's a great place to be. Mm, How lovely. Well, you must have spent over the years a long time in Henley, rowing in particular, because um, you're an Olympic rower. Um, Tell us a little bit about how you got into rowing to begin with, because today we're going to talk about a little bit about the journey between sport and then going into business, Um, your passion for well-being, and you've been an ambassador for well-being, and that's the kind of area that you're in, but also the importance that people place on mental health. So I think, you know, you've got a fantastic um, spectrum, really, of amazing resilience because you have been an extraordinary athlete, but also the challenges that come with that um, in, you know, as we all have our own mental health issues, as we've gone through various challenges that we've faced over the years. And you've been you've been very open about talking about that as well. So those are some of the things we're going to talk about today. But it, I guess it's quite good that you're in Henley because that's probably um, where part of it started. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've been in Henley. I mean, I've been coming to Henley for crikey you, when you count the years you know ne- nearly 26 years now uh I, I still remember the first time i drove down remnant hill for the henley henley regatta and i could see all the flags waving and you know the the marquees oh. up for the stewards enclosures and all that kind of stuff and uh it's a very special place uh it's a very special place because it's got the the, the river which i consider the sort of heart of henley running running through the town um, and it's really built around rowing and, and sport and community. Yeah, so I've been here for 20, 20 years um, and it's been a huge part of my my life. Uh, as you said, you know, I, I, I did, I, I was part of the British rowing team for nearly 20 years. So I, I competed in the Beijing and um, London Olympics, uh, which seemed like a long time ago now. Uh, yeah, we're, we're, wow. we're now and did you, And did you, I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask as if I don't, did you get a medal at all? I got two medals. Yeah, I was very lucky. I got a silver in Beijing and I got a bronze in London, which was very, very special because it was a home Olympics. 
Uh, and then I was very fortunate to win, a, you know, quite a few world championships in between. And I, and I was part of an amazing system. You know, I think the, the British rowing system for that, those two, nearly three decades under the kind of uh, tutelage of Jurgen Grobler and Sir David Tanner. And you had great athletes like uh, Sir Matthew Pinson, Sir Steve Redgrave, James Bracknell, Steve Williams, Andy Hodge, you know, Pete Reed, all these incredible athletes that you know that some people know the names of and all these other amazing athletes that a lot of people never heard of, you know, I mean, let's not forget Dame Catherine Granger and, you know, Helen Glover. Um, so yeah, it, it, it was an amazing, amazing time. And I was very privileged to learn a lot about, about sport and about performance and about, uh, you know, human performance and, and high performance of, of teams. Yeah, let's talk a little bit about that, Alex, because I think, you know, when the Olympics happened um, last year and actually we didn't do so well and, and there was there was a little bit of um, focus actually at the time and you and I spoke about it on the performance of the rowers in particular. And there was a bit of a debate about Jürgen Grober's um, methods. You know, he comes from perhaps what I would consider the old school of sporting um uh, not bullying, I think that's probably a strong, too strong a word, but certainly quite um, strict and almost aggressive ways of getting people to perform at their best, which I guess for some people works really well, but for others is potentially quite damaging. Um, but I, I don't know, you kind of balance that with you need to be the very best, you know, getting not getting a medal is not good enough. If you're there, that's what you're striving for, for perhaps your whole training career, even getting into the team. Your eye is binary, isn't it? You're either in it or you're not. You're at the Olympics or you're not. And perhaps that's the kind of training you need to have. Um, talk to me a little bit about that and your perspective on, you know, perhaps on Jürgen, but, but also how do you get to be an elite athlete? How do you get to train someone? Yeah, I mean... Uh... So the reality is to excel and succeed at the highest level, particularly within sport, it's, it is quite brutal. It's tough. Um, and you need, uh, or, or some people, but I think most people need a, a coach uh, or a trainer to uh, enable them to push further than they think that they could have gone, right? Because we... We all we all have our 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 limiting beliefs, our self limiting beliefs in, in life about everything, right? You know, I, I've got loads right now that says I can't do this or I can't do that when I'm looking at a different change in my life right now, um, and they just exist. They're, they're they're within you, and and the thing about great coaches uh, is that they they unlock and they allow you to explore yourself and your, your truest potential to, you know, to, to the maximum. Um, and I think, I think there's a debate around, particularly at the moment, you know, when you look at some of the performance, um, in sport and we talk about well-being of athletes and all of this kind of stuff at the moment, that there, there, there needs to be an understanding that the reality is, is that some, sometimes coaches need to be very, very hard, uh, on you. Um, the reality is, is that you know Jurgen was a very tough coach. He was an incredible trainer of athletes. He knew one. He knew exactly what you needed to do to set up the right program for success. Right. So if you look at that in the corporate context, you know it's about creating the right system and processes to, to create the most success for your people. Right. Um, but he was also very hard. He was also very hard, uh, um, and 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 and, but he wasn't just hard. You know, it wasn't just uh, you know a one a one shoe fits all uh, 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 type of program. It was he was very good at okay. Some people needed to be pushed hard. Some people might call it bullying. Some people might call it uh, you know inappropriate use of leadership or whatever. But some people to enable them to get the best, they have to be pushed that way. And then some people they need to be. You know, they need this flourishing environment. They need, you know, uh, endless positive encouragement. They need, do, do you see what I mean? Um, and, and what he was very good at was, was understanding what was right for the different individuals. Yeah. And how did that work for you? Was it, was it one of those things you look back on and go, that's what I needed. I needed kind of tough love. Or do you think there would have been a better way for you to be motivated to be able to perform? 
I think I did. I think I did need uh, a degree of tough love. Um, uh, I think that the other challenge, uh, yeah, I needed a degree of tough love, but I think it also changes as you grow, you know, as you grow and change within a, a system or a team or an organization, you know, it's not always the same. And I think it's very important for leaders to understand, you know, where that individual is on their journey in their own life. Um, and as they mature and grow, it, it, it will be different ways, right? As you, as you, as I became very, very successful and one of the more senior leaders in the team, it was about, actually, I wanted to be more empowered. I wanted to have more responsibility. Um, I wanted to feel like I was making more of the, the, the decisions about the control of, of my own performance. Um, and I think that's sometimes where it's difficult, particularly when you're looking after a huge, you know, you're looking after 60 athletes. Yeah. It's very, very difficult to always understand where those individuals are. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can absolutely see that. Um, and before we move on to then the transition into the workplace, you know, everyone asks us because it's the thing that we all imagine if we were elite athletes, what does it feel like to not just get an Olympic medal, but you know, even in the, you know, the world championships where you win, what does it feel like standing on that podium with the medal or going over the line as the winners? Uh, well, most people are not going to like this answer, but you know, I think if you talk to most athletes and I didn't win a gold at the Olympics, but I did win a gold at the world championships a lot of the time, particularly when you finish the Olympics, it's it's probably one of the emptiest feelings you have in your life because it's the end of the journey, you know, and so much of life and your motivation in life is, is being on that journey it, and, 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 and having that purpose. You know, your, my, my, my sole purpose for 20 years of my life was to try and win an Olympic gold medal. Yeah. So when often when you're stood there, you're kind of, you know, you, you have the elation of, okay, you know, this is, this is great. Um, you know, I think in, in British rowing, there's a, there's a kind of another side of it where, you know, actually just winning gold was the only definition of success. But when I look back at my career, I'm incredibly proud to have the silver and the bronze and a huge amount of the stuff that we did. Did you just on that, did you, was there a moment where you went, if I'd got the gold, I'd feel better. Did you, did you feel bad that you didn't get the gold? I think I always thought I would feel better, but then even talking to great friends of mine, like, you know, like James Cracknell, or, you know, you even hear Steve Raygrave talking about it. Even, even they will tell you that winning the gold, it still has that shallow, very hollow feeling because, because actually the best thing about being an Olympic athlete is the journey there. You know, it's the camaraderie. It's the great, uh, atmosphere that you have in that team that is just so phenomenal and and you take it for granted I think a lot of athletes particularly young athletes today you know they take for granted just how amazing it is to do what you love every day of your life and I, and I think a lot of people you know that there's a lot of people out there in the world who who are lucky enough to do that whether it's in you know in the arts or education or or within business they do what they love uh, and we all are more aware of that. Um, and that's where the fulfillment comes from, yeah. you know, living a life of purpose. Yeah. And then let's come on to that because it's it's fascinating, isn't it? You know, you hear that you, you're you not the first athlete that I've heard say that, you know, it is everything you strive for and you think you're going to be fine. Um, and that's how you're going to feel. I remember selling my business and thinking, I'm going to feel great because I've sold it. That's what I wanted to do. It's a dream, isn't it? You build a business, you sell a business, and then you uh, retire or you do something else again. But and it, and it wasn't the feeling that I thought it was going to be. And I think we all, and you and I have spoken about this, we have to work really hard to live in the present, to not always want to strive for the future. But when you and I met, um, you know, and we had a number of people in common. So Peter Cowie was my business partner and he knew you through rowing. Um, I'd been to Henley a lot of times with my uncle, Colin Moynihan, and a great boyfriend of mine, John Pritchard. So, you know, I had an absolute love and affinity with rowing. And then Peter suggested that we met because once you stopped that journey, once you stopped that, you know, the love that you'd had and the purpose that you'd had, you needed to think about work. And I think you found that, like many athletes do, quite hard. 
to one, be accepted into business because you came from that background. And often in business, we don't think that actually sports people can do anything other than sport, uh, which is blatantly not true. Um, But also it's just, I guess, getting used to it. What was that like for you? Yeah, I I mean, I I definitely struggled 100% because my identity was very wrapped up in being an athlete. uh, And... I think the world is in a better place now where there's a big recognition and lots more support to understand that it's not just about equipping athletes with skills, you know, practical skills, like, you know, simple as how, you know, how to be very good at Excel or PowerPoint and things like that. But it's, it's actually about how do you help athletes transition their identity uh, and, and find purpose outside of sport. You know, and a lot of athletes, you know, they stay in sport, they become coaches or, or, or whatever it is. Um, so one, there was that, that side of it. And I still struggle. I still struggle today. I, I you know, I, I, uh, I understand the corporate world better. Um, and, but that was another huge challenge is that fundamentally, uh, I think businesses are built very different to high-performance sports teams still, uh, even though we do so much work about looking at the lessons from high-performance sport, uh, because ultimately there is a bottom line. Um, It's far more, I mean, you know, rowing, getting selected for the Olympic team is hugely cutthroat. But even even down to the guy that's the spare man, there's still this sense of belonging if you don't make the boat. You know, there's this... Hmm wraparound of community of of your fellow athletes uh whereas you know the corporate world can be incredibly brutal you know so many people are treated like numbers um and actually you know it's well when that person's gone there's you know there's another person to take their take their place and um you know i've been lucky to to work with some great organizations like wavestream where you know at times there is that same feeling of community and family and 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 i think i think it's, you know, I, I still, I still think that for a very large business, you know, finding a way to create that atmosphere for their people, even if it's micro communities within a huge organization, like one of the big four or anything like that, where there is that sense of belonging uh, will make such a difference uh, to, to somebody's well-being and also the, ultimately their performance. Yeah. So yeah, it took me it took me a long time to to understand the world and how it works. Yes, and-, and I think that point's a good one actually, Alex, isn't it? Because I think if you've grown up in business, you have a certain kind of corporate muscle. You know, for me, I've run my own businesses for twenty years, so going into a PLC was a massive shock for me. I, you know, I'd worked with them, but I hadn't sat in a PLC, so that took me a little bit of time to really understand. You go, oh. Oh, I get this. Okay, this is how this works. Um, and I think for you, you spent so much time in a sporting environment, to your point. Um, just going into any business is going to be different and unusual. Um, and, and you forget just how much you learn uh, just by being there. I mean, similarly, you know, I've always done sport throughout my life. It's very different from being in a team where you're trying to get a gold medal. Yeah. Um, so I think I can understand that. Um and I, I, I was going to just say, I think, you know, like one of the things that, you know, when, when you, when you enter into uh, try and be in the British team or even any and the clubs, you know, the, the club rowing, for example, there, there all, there's always an understanding that you could be dropped or not selected. Right. You, everyone knows that the same way that, you know, when you take a job, you know, you could lose your job or be fired or whatever, or made redundant if they have this, but, um, I, I think with what, what where the difference is within the sporting environment is that there's a there's a respect and an understanding that this individual that's come to this club or to the British team uh, is making a sacrifice, right? Is making a sacrifice and making a choice to do this, to do this over anything else, to you know, and and, and certainly within rowing, it doesn't have the sort of same financial benefits that a lot of other sports do. And I think when I think a lesson that can be learned and probably isn't looked at as much is that, and, and because probably because uh, there's been huge demand for jobs, you know, over the years, but now it's the other way around, right? It's shifted. There's a great resignation and actually there's more jobs than there are applicants. And, and actually it's almost like the, 
the, the you know the employee is interviewing the company. But what I'm what I'm trying to say is that there's an understanding of the sacrifice that that individual is making the choice to be part of this team, right? And I think I think one of the things that I think sometimes businesses forget is, uh, you know, when an employee or when someone signs up for that job, they are making that you know that sacrifice and that choice, and it, it is a big commitment as mm. well. Um, and I, I, I love think that's that. Just, you know, I think yeah. you're so right. When, I don't think we think about that, do we? When you're signing up for a job, you're making a sacrifice and a commitment. And I think so often, and we see this, and you, you've seen it at, at, when you've been working at Wadestream before, um, and I see this absolutely at Let's Reset. I don't think that the businesses we deal with see that from their employees. They just go, you know, they're lucky to be here. We're paying them a lot of money. Um, or we're not paying them as much money, but you know it's a it's a secure job and they're getting an income. Um, I don't think they see that. Yeah, no, I I completely I completely agree, and um, I, I just I think it's one of the lessons that I've learned is that you know when when you choose to go and work somewhere, um, you know, and then that, that then flows into all the corporate decisions that you know the senior management make of the businesses. You're choosing to put that badge on your chest, just the same way that you choose to, you know, play for Tottenham or Chelsea or, you know, um, and so it's important to that individual, uh, the decisions that are made by the company uh, and that the company really thinks holistically. And I think, you know, everyone's becoming more, more aware of it, you know, sustainability, diversity, inclusion, you know, making better long-term decisions for the future of the world, because we can see at the moment, you know, it's not really worked out to just have corporate growth and, uh, you know, a lot of the kind of, uh, I guess, greed. Um, so it's, it's, it's just really understanding that it's not just, oh, this person's taking that job, they'll be great for this job. It's this person is making a conscious decision to be part of my or our, our team. Um, and, and that's a big deal and a big responsibility. I think it's just flipping it on its head. Yeah, I think it's that's so interesting. We've seen that a lot in the last two years, haven't we? I mean, you know, I, I used to love list, reading James Timpson in the Sunday Times business section, talking about some of the amazing things that he's put in place at Timpson, um, which I think to many CEOs prior probably to these last couple of years, they would have gone, well, it's fine if it's a family business. And, you know, that's a sort of kooky thing that you can do, like, you know, buying some houses that then your staff can go to, giving people days off, um, all sorts of things that actually did exactly what you said, makes them feel loyal, makes them feel part of a family, makes them feel that they are valued, which is so important, yeah. um, and goes that extra mile to show just how important the well-being of their staff is. So, you know, we've got a program we're running at the moment with TUI, which is all around helping them have that well-being conversation, understanding the difference it can make to their colleagues. But that's quite a big new thing. Um, and I can see, you know, there are there are many companies now that are very enlightened, but there are a lot that aren't. And you've worked for the last few years, particularly um, with WageStream about putting kind of financial well-being into companies. And I guess you've seen those businesses that are genuinely trying and those that it's you know it's not something that's at the heart it's not a strategic imperative yeah yeah and and so much like uh so much of it can you know it flows from the top and i i just think that it's it, it's leaders understanding the simple impact of things like saying good morning when they walk through the door to everyone that they walk past, you know, taking that five minutes to have that coffee. And when I think about uh, why was, you know, why was Jurgen very successful is because he did spend the time, you know, he didn't just talk to the best athletes in the group. You know, he spent the time with the young ones, uh, you know, and gave them that time over coffee. And, okay, you've got that, you've got a different environment where you're having breakfast, lunch, dinner together and you're away on training camps and all that kind of stuff. But it's about, it's about doing those simple things and spending that little time. So everyone feels far more connected. And that's one of the things that is, is, is integral to a, you know, high performance sporting environment. And I, and I think uh, is, is that you feel, you feel connected right to the top of, of the team. Um, and then that's what creates the best performance in the whole team. And that's a, that's a big change that I saw over the years. 
Um, and I think, you, you, you know, you hear the stories coming out of different sports and some, some, some organizations haven't got it right. You know, they haven't got it right where there's this sort of hierarchy focus and it's just the, you know, elite performers that get all the attention and, and that, you know, they're kind of bullying down to the kind of lower end of the team. Um, but I think the best way to get out the, the best, you know, or, or the best human performance is for that individual to feel so connected and uh, to one that the the purpose of that that performance system or the organization, but also to feel really connected to the senior end of the team or, or the organization to feel like they genuinely care about what they're doing. Yeah, yeah, I completely agree. Completely agree. And I think, you know, so you personally, you know, we've talked about this a lot. Um, you focus very hard on your own well-being, on you know, it was one of the reasons you're so passionate about it, about coping. Um, and I think some of it, you said, started from when you left sport in a way um, and that you had to cope with some times of depression and times where you weren't as happy as you wanted to be. Um, what sort of things do you do to try and keep your head in that really good space? Um, yeah, let's start with that one. Well, I mean, I, I you know, I used to do lots and lots of things. Uh, uh, you know, I, I would do a lot of focus on breathing, uh, you know, uh, with the Wim Hof method, a lot of cold water therapy. I was very... Uh, yeah, I, I, I love the way you say cold water therapy and breathing. You know, to me, that's like a quick dip in the sea um, and, uh, you know, a tiny little bit of breathing to make you feel good. But because you are an ex-Olympian, um, your swimming would be like for a, a huge amount of time and you're massively competitive in everything you're doing because you would actually go properly swimming in the cold water, wouldn't you? Yeah, I, I'm a big, I, I love I love uh, open water swimming. I think being in that body of water, I think there's something about water, but also just moving through water kind of you can just shut off everything in the world and it gives you that time to just completely shut down um uh you know I, i've been a big an avid um and very passionate about uh just making sure you do exercise every day um uh you know whether it's you know just movement for five minutes or, or getting outside and going for that walk for 10 minutes i think i think it's so crucial because i think in in london in particular it's very very difficult and very very easy not to put that in your day uh making sure you eat and drink the right things i mean hydration is just one of the easiest things that people can do you know you need to have at least three liters of water every day and how many of us you know like me is it three i know three liters Uh, you know i do two of those big bottles but i mean that's 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 quite a lot yeah well you know eight, eight eight well six to eight pints of water uh i i would say that you you should be trying to get in your system every day um, and so I've always looked at putting those things in my, in my life. I've, you know, I made sure that I tried to have time in the morning to, uh, you know, meditate or, or just have silence or, uh, you know, just something peaceful going on in my head. Um, because the, you know, I think the, the pace of life and the, the pace of the amount of input that is coming into you from, uh, from, from these things, um holding up a phone yeah yeah (laughs) and you you can and 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 a a simple message or an email coming through from from your director or your your your, you know your manager or whatever at the wrong time of day like anytime after 6 30 at night or you know before 8 30 9 o'clock in the morning can just send your whole day spiral your whole day out of control because it might might be a flippant really quick message but the way we read things and we interpret them, you miss the voice, you miss the way it's, and, and, and because there's so much going through now, people's messages are shorter and shorter and they're more and more brief. You know, we forgot, hi, how's your day? You know, putting that in the first line of your email, hope you're well, all that kind of stuff. Not even, um, you know, dear Suki, it's just uh, looking forward to tomorrow. You, do, do you know what I mean? It's just a yeah, one, yeah, line, no, absolutely. one line thing. And, and yep. all of that, that can, that can create a huge amount of stress, particularly for younger people who aren't as experienced and understand, you know, the pace of, of the corporate world. And so therefore it's super, super important for you to put these things in place in your life. But, you know, I, I also am very aware, Suki, that, you know, you can put all these things in place in your life and things can still spiral out of control. You know, you can still get very, very depressed. And I, you know, I've been there myself again recently and, 
and 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 that's where I think it's also super super important. You know, part of one of the key aspects of of, of well being is that social side. Uh, and and then when I think about the social side, it's actually setting up that network of people, or um, to be able to say I'm not okay. You know, I'm really not okay. And I think it's very difficult because you see now in in the workplace, there's there's these you know, apps where you can talk to a counselor and all of that kind of stuff. And I think it's very different. I, I think, you know, just, just having access to a counselor, that's great. That'll give you the professional link, but just having that ability to talk to someone where you have a true human connection uh, makes such a massive difference and can, and, and can, could, could ultimately stop uh, so many of the burnouts and the, you know, the kind of the even worse that we're, we're, we're seeing today. Yeah. And I think you're so right. And actually, I think that you um, are good at that. You know, I think in the last year, you have reached out to me and, you know, and you're much better, closer friends and just said, you know what, I do need to chat or it's not, I'm not okay today. And I think that's a really, really brave thing to do. And I think listening to you, acknowledging that that human contact is what you need is so important. And I think for me, um, you know, I felt having been a bit ill in the last nine months, um, you know, the things I couldn't do, which was eat and exercise and go out, I found so difficult because those are my normal coping mechanisms with, oh, I'm fine because I can just do all those things and I can work. Um, And then when you can't perhaps do them in the way you want to do them, uh, the bit that I hadn't really factored in, because I see my close friends all the time, partly because of COVID, partly because of everything else, I just realised, you know what, that's the bit that's been missing for me. I haven't seen those extra friends. I haven't had those conversations. And that's really um, diminished my life, and diminished my world. And I hadn't appreciated really till I reflected on at the beginning of this year what a massive impact that was having on me. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think we've all been isolated and and uh, and then you become almost locked in this pattern. You know, COVID created us locked in our pattern of, well, you know, I don't really go much further than, you know, the end of the road to the, you know, to the corner shop and all this kind of stuff. And um, uh, it, yeah, it's interesting. And then, and then you hear this, uh, you know, there's this big return to work, you know, businesses are looking at return to work. Uh, or sorry, return to the office, return to work. Is, yeah. People have been working their socks off during the... Yes, the, well, that is actually, it's a funny expression, isn't it? Because people do say return to work. And yeah. you say, actually, it is the wrong expression because they're not not working. They just haven't been in the office working. I agree. Yeah, and then and so you have that and then it's... But actually, there is a huge benefit of people having been at home. And, and, and it's, okay, well, we want you to come back to the office. You need to come back to the office. But people have put in place commitments or moved or all that kind of stuff so I wondered in my mind is like you know the business talks about oh well you need to come back to the office well you know I think some why why don't businesses flip it on their head and you know why don't they say okay well we'll come to you you know we'll come to Swindon today and we'll get everyone together in Swindon for lunch and and that's a a a very different way It's, it's a business showing a commitment to you rather than you feeling, you know, beholden to the business, because you've been working your socks off. Uh, really interesting, Alex. You know, I was talking to some banks last week, and they were talking about how do they come back into the community, because see a lot of branches are closed, but they need to be in the community. They need to be with young people. They need to, you know, um, be able to get people financially aware. So they've been looking at some innovative ways of, you know, maybe going to youth clubs and um, schools and, and all of those sort of places, maybe even sharing you know, branches uh, with other banks or, or other third parties. What a fascinating thing for businesses to do, to say, look, there's a whole group of you. We could do something together. We um, I'm part of something called Wackle, which is the women's group uh, in marketing, and we do a postcode party. So depending on how many people there are in your postcode, you all get together for a drink or for dinner or just to do something for fun. And it was so enlightening because you get to meet people at a different level that you hadn't done before. And I wonder whether there's, is that the sort of thing you mean that you could? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I could, absolutely. I think, I think, I, I, I mean, we're kind of, uh, you know, uh, going on a, a tangent here, but I think it's super important because I still, I still think that, uh, 
it's very difficult often for senior leadership to to kind of because you know they have to be so focused on the bottom line right they have to create the results they have to deliver so it's easy for them to not easy but it's easy for them to kind of write well we need to get back in and we need to crack on with this and stuff but and, and just forget the things like there's a fear, right? This, this fear has been created by the COVID pandemic. And so, so for some people, you know, say, okay, come back to the office. They're, they're terrified about getting on the train, you know, and I know we're, we're a long way past that now, but there's still that feeling out there. You know, I've got friends who only just got COVID and now they're terrified, right? So they won't go anywhere with, without a mask because of how badly it affected them. Yeah. Um, and it's going, okay, right, well, don't come back to the office. We'll come to you. And then it's creating that confidence. It's creating that confidence and that small steps and that small interaction that then will bring people back rather than kind of having this blanket enforced uh, statement. And, and that's the same way that you create success in performance. It's yeah. when you have a bad result uh, at, a, you know, at, a, at a regatta, at a World Cup or whatever, when you come back, it's not you know, blanket, we'll do this massive change. It's about, okay, well, where can we find the ways of creating the small successes first? You know, what can we do when we get back tomorrow that's really simple, that's going to give everyone, okay, right, we've got that. Right, let's do another small thing on top of that. And, and yeah, and that's ultimately the best way to create huge success. Yeah, is, I, is I absolutely, on. I agree. I love that, Alex. It's the, it's the small successes, isn't it? It's the, it's almost the Tesco line of every little helps, absolutely. but it's those small building blocks. It's not the big, massive gesture. So, you know, you've been a wellbeing ambassador, you've been in business for some time. What kind of small steps should businesses be doing to really focus on the well-being of their people linking to their performance? I, I mean, ultimately, I think it's the simple, simple things. Uh, you know, we look with all these well-being programs, there's lots of content, and et cetera, you know, all that kind of stuff out there. But ultimately, at the end of the day, well-being is created by the people that we are surrounding ourselves with and how they interact and behave with each other. And so the small things that we can do, or particularly the people who are in the positions of influence, it's very, very simple. Say good morning every day. Ask someone how they're doing. Mm. You know, ask someone how they're doing. Uh, Sit and have a coffee with a different person every day. You know, those are the small, small wins that will create that energy and it it won't, you know, it won't happen immediately, but people will start to take to note, take note. And you always, always hear those stories about, you know, the great CEO that walks into the building and, you know, that was the person that made the difference. And there are some out there, right? There, there, well, there, there are lots out there. Uh, and you always hear, oh, well, that person went to, you know, they moved from, you know, RBS to, you know, Standard Life or, you know, they whatever, whatever, for, and, and you know, they created a great success there again. And it's because they're exhibiting those small behaviors every day. Yeah. And, and that's the biggest lesson. It's not about, right, you know, how hard can you, you know, smash your sales force? You know, the salespeople ultimately want to get paid. They want their bonuses, all that kind of stuff. So they're probably going to work pretty hard, but it's okay, right? How much can we empower and how much can we make our sales team have a great day? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, completely. I can you know, be- or, or client so, success yeah. team. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so just a couple more things. Um, you know, you talked throughout our conversation this time, and I know a lot about purpose and our let's reset seven needs of well-being and performance. The seventh need is purpose. And you clearly had a purpose when you were, uh, you know, a sportsman winning, getting to the Olympics, winning the world golds. And that's, I guess, quite easy for people to see and identify with. Um, or be jealous of, as I am. Um, tell me about how that purpose drives you now. Well, you, you know, uh, I I want my purpose now is I want people to live the best lives they possibly can, uh, and that's a that's a very different purpose, and it's quite broad and it's quite difficult to kind of okay, well, how can I do this? And, but, uh, and I, and I've definitely forgotten it, uh, sometimes, you know, I've definitely forgotten that that's my, when, when I'm at my worst, I'm, I forget that actually what makes me 
happiest is doing something that fulfills that every day. Now, sometimes you 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 you'll work and you won't actually be doing that every day, right? It, it won't feel like you're doing that. But then it's about, for me, my my purpose is okay. Right, well, what can I do to make people feel better and be better every day? You can do that in your social life, right? You can volunteer for something. Um, you can. I've got kids. You can you can participate in a in a children's club or a sports club or. And, and it's, if you, if you then build your life around, okay, this is my purpose. And if you go, right, well, I'm having a rubbish day and you look at, okay, well, what have I done towards that purpose today? Then you go, not a lot, <laughs> which mm-hmm. a lot of me, uh, yeah. then you go, oh, right. Well, if I go out and I go do this, you know, it might be going, it might be, it might be, you know, well, sometimes for me, it's just as simple as calling you and say, how are you doing? Right. Because you're having, you know, tough time with health and, there's lots of people who are having tough times with health and it's okay. We'll just give them a call. So that, that for me is my purpose, but for other people, it might be other things. It might be like, I want to build, you know, amazing innovative technology, or I might, I, I want to, uh, you know, uh, uh, be a, uh, the, the most, innovative, um, you know, uh, groundbreaking pattern, you know, um, epidemiologist. <laughs> yeah, sure. Absolutely. It might be, it might be, yeah. it, but it's about, okay, right. Well, if that's your purpose, and you write that down. And when you're having a really rubbish moment, mm-hmm. you rewrite that on a piece of paper. And then you just write three bullet points of what are those things that you've done that day towards that. Yeah. And if you can't write anything, then that's why you're having a bad day. <laughs> and that, and yeah, I love that. So I, I think I've talked about this before. I have my purpose on the inside of my wardrobe. Um, so I have one line and then I have a lot of things around it and I divide it into work and life. Um, and I look at it every day because I get dressed every day. So um, that for me works really well. And I like the idea of at the end of the day, taking you know, even one bullet point, but three bullet points that then ladder into that purpose. Have you done that? Um, I've always felt, particularly when my kids lived at home, I'd have that moment every day of going, am I happy working rather than being with my children? Am I making the right decision? And I think as, you know, as as I've certainly as they've left home and, my purpose is much more like you around how do we help people live the work life that in, energizes them and those around them. Um, you know, I'm much clearer on my purpose and and how that impacts businesses and, and how I can grow my own business and help all the people working within that as well. Um, but yeah, I can see that it is good, isn't it? To, to kind of every day or every week go, am I still in the right place? And, and you, you said, sometimes you're not is that because you get distracted or is that just because you know other things have taken over for a little bit of time i, th- I think we we all get distracted right we all get distracted and uh sometimes you question well is this really my purpose or you 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 can become you know down on yourself and and then other things might become you know the things that are shorter term fulfillment you know whether it's you know, hanging out with friends or, you know what I mean? Like distracting yourself with alcohol or TV or, you know, even worse, uh, you know, those things can, can get in the way and they can become a distraction, but ultimately they're a short-term fulfillment. And, uh, but you can kind of keep trying to go to those short-term fulfillments to, to kind of, think that that will be the solution uh but the, at the end of the day the reality is is if you if you look at like okay well who am i who 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 really am i and a lot of us a lot of us don't ask us that question that's why we walk we walk around life and i ask myself that question a lot you know who who am i just to make sure that i'm in in touch with am i really doing what i what i want to do am i really uh, or, or am I really doing what's fulfilling me? And then, and if the answer is no, then you've got to change what you're doing. That's such a great question for us all to do, isn't it? Who am I? And just make sure that we are living the life that we want to and that we're living the life that helps other people, I guess, rather than, than not. Um, and then, therefore, as you say, when you've asked the question, who am I, um, you have... the the name of this podcast is reset um you have reset your life 
probably more times than most in a more dramatic way. Um, and you're going through another reset now. Um, how do you approach that moment of reset? You know, so you're obviously asking that question, who am I? What am I going to do now with my life for the next you know, 10, 20 years, maybe? Um, what, what's the thought process? What's the actions that you're doing to, to do this latest reset? Well, I think sometimes you have to just take some time out, right? You have to, you have to take, uh, you just have to step back and, and you have to step away from the same, you know, routine that you've, routine is really important, by the way. I think routine is incredibly important. And when you don't have routine, I think that's also very difficult, but sometimes you just need to step away and you need to go right back to the basics. You need to go, you need to allow your, 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 your brain space and time to think and i think sometimes the best thing that you can do is change your environment you know your environment is no, another one of the kind of key uh core elements of of of, of well-being and mental health you know the environment that you're that you're in um and 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 you need to, and that and that's what i've done i you know i went away uh I, you know surfing's a passion of mine it allows me to have clarity so i went away surfing for a couple of weeks um and you know, it was as it was as simple as okay. Well, you know, what are my priorities in life? And it's just you you often already know them, but it's mm. just about allow, allowing yourself the space to kind of get rid of all that other noise. You've got to get rid of the noise uh, to kind of really remember. Okay, right, these are my core priorities in life. And then I think the other the other thing. And Alex, just before you go on, then what are they? What have you discovered? And are they different? No, they're not that different. My priorities in life are are that you know the health and the security of my children. Uh, you know to to make sure that they can live a fulfilling life and uh, a safe life. I think that's really really important to me, and a healthy life, uh, and that I can have time time with them. Uh, time I think is incredibly important, um, and that, that that I can you know that I can financially support them. Um, but when you when you you know when when things aren't going that well. You know, it's easy to kind of want to escape and run away and do those sort of things. So that's that's one of the things. And I think the other thing was, you know, being healthy, being healthy and fit uh, is incredibly important. Um, and I I lost I lost touch with that. Um, and just just stepping away and getting out of the out of the noise allows you to go. Okay, right. Well, then if I, if those are my priorities, then okay, right. Well, I need to change some some habits and some behaviors you know that can creep into our lives right you know uh you know the taste of a crunchy bar every time you go to the petrol station you know it can become quite addictive right and and, and other things in your life uh and it, so you have to you have to step away and break the, those cycles and and then go okay right right so this is these are the, these are my priorities in life okay so what what is it that i do around that you know and and, and you know you, you don't have to be when, when people listen to this, you know, when I say, okay, well, my purpose in life is helping people. Well, I spent nearly nine months working as a barista in Cafe Nero, uh, you know, in, a, in another work break. And that was probably one of the most fulfilling jobs in my life because so much of my time was serving people coffee and then asking them how, they, how was their day. Yeah, you'd, be, you'd be amazed the number of times people break down in tears or they just tell you something that, um, so, uh, that, that you know they probably wouldn't tell another person because actually it's there in that moment you know buying their coffee that a lot of people are thinking those things through so I'm, I, you, you don't have to go off and be some incredibly high-flying lawyer or investment banker or uh, you know uh, management consultant or uh, you know fast-track leadership team in, in any of their kind you, you, you know you can fulfill purpose in many many different ways uh, it's just about focusing your life on, on making sure you do that every day yeah and I guess also the responsibilities you've got because you know you said your number one purpose is making sure your children are happy and healthy and that also you can provide for them and you know that's always a balance isn't it between what you do to make yourself happy to fulfill your purpose but also you know how you can look after those people around you as well absolutely uh, yeah absolutely yeah. um and uh, you know it's it's in, it's interesting we're, we're in a very different world than we were. I mean, it's very difficult. The world is nuts as far as I'm concerned. At the moment. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, with everything that's going on. And it's really sad to see, you know, especially what's going on in Ukraine. But 
I guess it's probably because it's now the conflict's closer to home, you know, but it's been going on around the world for a long time. But it, it feels like a very, a very, very stressful place, the world at the moment. Um, and I, I think that we all, everyone just needs to take a bit of a time out and just think, okay, right, you know, is what I'm doing really good for me and for everyone else around me and for the long terms, you know, sustainability of, of, you know, my children and future generations, is it really, uh, or is it, you know, it, it, and, and I think if people just take that time, uh, now then, you know, I think we can be in a, in a better place, but yeah, yeah it's, it's very, very interesting times. Alex, I think that's a great place to finish. Um, Gosh, that makes me feel quite emotional. I think the last, particularly this last few minutes of the conversation have been quite tough, actually quite tough for you to talk about. And, you know, knowing you, you're such a kind, loving, huge man in all senses of the word, because you're very tall. Um, <laughs> you are an amazing athlete. And I know you're one of the kindest people that I know. And, and resetting a life is always difficult and challenging. And I think somebody with your huge sense of purpose, wanting to help other people, of understanding absolute elite performance and how people can be the very, very best and also what can get in the way of that. You, There are a few people, I think, who are better at that than you because you've been there so many times. You've helped people see it so many times. And I think for you to share that actually for you, it's not always as easy as it looks from the outside. It's very easy for us to look at you and go, gosh, such a charmed life, you know, Olympian, tall, good looking, you know, <laughs> and, and you have, and you've worked really hard and you do help lots of other people. So thank you for sharing that journey with us today. And, um, and I'm really pleased that we have over the years become friends. And uh, that means a lot to me as well. So Thank you very much and I'll see you soon. No, thank you very much, Suki. Thank you for having me. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed Reset the Podcast, I'd love it if you would forward it to your work colleagues, friends and family. Reset the Podcast is a Let's Reset and Advertising Week global production. Executive producer is Richard Larson. With me, Suki Thompson. Thanks to our sponsor, Liars Non-Alcoholic Spirits and voiceover artist, Talitha Penny. Music provided by Audio Network.